the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, last week we began to look at the problems of security. Because there are always some who come along and say, but what about this? What about this verse? Or what about this? Can't, can't I turn from Christ? Can't Satan pull me from Christ? What about those things? Can't I walk away from him? Will Christ ever condemn me? What about my sin? Can I sink so low that God would say, you're gone. I'm through with you. Those are some valid questions. And thankfully, God has already answered them quite clearly in his word. Scripture is full of assurances that once God has saved us, He will never unsave us, nor will He permit anyone or anything else to remove us from His grip. But we still might sometimes wonder if maybe we could so offend God that He would cast us away, or maybe we give Satan credit for more power than he actually has and fear that he could snatch us away. Well, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, but sometimes fear that your eternity is somehow still at risk, I'm glad you're here, and I hope you can stay with us for today's Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're studying God's sovereignty and our security, primarily as revealed in Chapter 8 of the Book of Romans. In these wonderful verses, we find promise after promise that eternal life begins at the moment of salvation, and it really is eternal. It's not eternal if, it's eternal period. It's one of the things that makes Christianity different from other faiths. Ancient and modern religions alike hold us hostage to our behavior. We have to perform to earn God's approval and to keep it. But the Bible says it's impossible to earn His approval. He gives it freely, and He gives it eternally. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8. Here's Pastor Steve. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and we want to look at that great passage again starting at verse 28 and we are progressing along in our study of divine sovereignty and the security of salvation Romans chapter 8 and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose for whom he foreknew he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or nakedness or persecution or famine 
or, or distress or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The older I get in the Lord and the more I study the word of God, the more convinced I am of the absolute sovereignty of God in human affairs. From the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, the message is that God is sovereign. The mighty God reigns upon high. We've been studying in the evening services. We've been studying the book of Esther. You can't study Esther and take it in its historical uh, context and come away with any other message except this, that God is sovereign. It's the triumph of sovereignty. It is God's providence at work. God is so magnificent and so absolutely sovereign and in control that he can even take Esther and Mordecai to preserve his people and to preserve his integrity and his promises to Israel. You study the book of Daniel, and that same theme runs throughout. God is sovereign. And you see how God used Nebuchadnezzar and used other kings and used people to accomplish his divine purpose. Even throughout the prophetic uh, dreams that were given to Daniel to interpret, you see that Daniel's one message is, God has a kingdom that will come to pass. God is sovereign. The Most High reigns upon the earth and over the affairs of mankind. So you study John's gospel, you see from chapters 18 through 20, as the Lord Jesus, it appears that he is the victim, and it appears that Pontius Pilate triumphs over him, and Herod triumphs over him, and Roman soldiers triumph over him, and the Jewish leaders triumph over him, but if you look carefully, you see that he's orchestrating it all. If you look carefully, you see that Christ is behind it all, that God in his sovereignty is calling the shots. And you see that the Lord Jesus is not the victim, he is the victor. From cover to cover, the Bible is filled with verses and passages about God's absolute sovereignty and control of mankind. And there's no better illustration of this than the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, in fact, in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7, you don't need to turn there, but God said this, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people's, for you were fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you, God is sovereign, and he has chosen Israel. Now, most of us have no problems in accepting the fact that God is sovereign uh, in his dealings throughout the Old Testament, in the book of Esther, Daniel, choosing Israel, coming to the New Testament, in John's Gospel. Most of us have no problems in accepting God's sovereignty in those events. But we do tend to have some difficulties in accepting the doctrine of God's sovereignty in an individual salvation. And yet it's not only important that we believe it, that God is absolutely sovereign from beginning to end. God says that salvation is of him, even though there's human responsibility and we cannot uh, try in our own minds to reconcile those two. Even though God says it, it is crucial that not only we believe it as Christians, but that we accept it by conviction. Why is that so important? Because in Romans chapter 8, that is Paul's point. In Romans chapter 8, which is the preeminent chapter in all the Bible dealing with the security and eternal security of the believer, God's sovereignty is the highest level of assurance that's presented to us. Romans chapter 8, 
And I keep repeating this and repeating this because I want you to understand it and I want you to grasp it and I want it to be a part of you. And I want it to lay hold of you. Romans chapter 8 opens with this verse. There is therefore now, at this time, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Implication being there will never be a time that a believer will have any condemnation. And then the Apostle Paul goes through the whole chapter giving proof after proof after proof to substantiate that one statement that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he begins to give the proofs. In the first few verses he says, if you understand rightfully so that, that in salvation Christ took upon himself your condemnation, then you will know that you will never enter into any condemnation. He moves on to another proof, the Spirit of God indwelling us. He says in verse 9, which is only part of the passage, he says, however, you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Second proof, the Spirit of God indwells you. Third proof is sonship. Verse 15, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. And he goes on to say, if you are sons, then you are the rightful heirs of the inheritance. How could you possibly miss out on salvation when you are indeed his legitimate adopted sons? He goes on in verse 23, and actually even before that, to speak about groaning for glory. Creation groans because creation, nature that is, built into to nature is an understanding that they're not, it's not all that God intended it to be. And in the millennial kingdom, it will be restored to its beauty. And Paul says that not only does creation groan, but the Christian groans. He says in verse 23, and not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of the body. What's he saying? The proof that you are going to be redeemed in the sense of your body and you're going to be in glory, that absolute proof, the fact remains that you now groan within yourself because you have a divine nature and you have tasted the first fruits of the Spirit. You have tasted glory. Glory is the spiritual victory we have because of the Spirit of God living in us. Just a taste. But because we have the taste, we know that it will ultimately someday be fulfilled. Now all those are tremendous arguments but they are nothing in comparison with the last argument because Paul climaxes his arguments by telling us that divine sovereignty absolutely without any question proves that we are secure in Christ and we will never come under any condemnation. And that's what we've been looking at the last few weeks. Now, how does divine sovereignty prove this? Well, first of all, we looked at the promise of security. Verse 28, Paul, in a sense, shifts gears, and he's now into God being absolutely in control, and God has a purpose, and God has a plan, and if you and I are a part of that plan, then we rejoice in it because we know we're secure, because his plan cannot be thwarted. Verse 28, it's promise. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who, who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. What he's saying here is not a verse out of context. Many people quote this and just say, oh, all things work together for good, and they don't know what it's talking about. In context, it's this. If everything is working together for good, and that means intrinsically good, if everything is, is used by God to make you like Christ, then nothing can pull you away from Christ. 
Nothing can eternally harm you. Nothing can work to harm you. Why? Because God is so sovereign. He's using even the bad things in life and the good things and the things that are neutral to make you like Christ. So how could you say that something could come along in my life and I would lose my salvation? No, you can't lose your salvation if God is so sovereign that he causes all things to work together for good now and in eternity. So we have a great promise. The promise is that nothing can work against us. Then we saw the purpose of security, verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What's that saying? We are destined to be like Christ. We are destined. Right now in our life, God is making us like Christ through the trials and through the difficulties and through the heartaches that we go through. But his eternal purpose in saving us and securing us is that we would someday ultimately be like Christ when we see him. 1 John 3, it does not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him, absolutely conformed to his image. But why? What is the ultimate purpose for our security? Look at 29 again. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What is that saying? It's saying that we are secure because God in ages past planned that there would be redeemed humanity of which Christ would stand out as the preeminent one, as the prominent one, as the firstborn one, as the leader. If salvation is not secure, then there will be no one who will make it. And if no one makes it, then Christ will not be glorified because there won't be a redeemed humanity to give him the praise and the glory of which he deserves. So the purpose of our security ultimately is to be conformed to his, his image that we might glorify him. And if he didn't make us secure, no one would ever make it. And that would thwart the purpose of God. But how did this all take place? The process of security is found in verse 30. And whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Glorified, past tense. As far as God is concerned, it's as good as if it ever happened. Because it will happen. It's so sure that God could say it's already happened. Now last week we began to look at the problems of security. Because there are always some who come along and say, but what about this? What about this verse? Or what about this? Can't, can't I turn from Christ? Can't Satan pull me from Christ? What about those things? Can't I walk away from him? Will Christ ever condemn me? What about my sin? Can I sink so low that God would say, you're gone. I'm through with you. Well, Paul anticipated that the Christians at Rome would indeed have these difficulties. If after 2,000 years, Christians are still having difficulties with this doctrine, don't you think that the initial Christians who received this letter would have trouble with it? Of course. And Paul, being not only a theologian, but a pastor and a shepherd at heart, wants to deal with these problems and wants to settle it in their, in their thinking. So last week, we began to look at the problems with security. Now, security has no problems. It's just the problems we invent that are associated with security. And the first problem we looked at last week was the problem with the power of God to protect us from those who would try to pull us away from Christ. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? In light of all that we've seen, what should be our verbal response? And Paul tells us our verbal response should be, if God is for us, who is against us? In other words, if God is for us, it doesn't matter who's against us because God is more powerful than any foe. No one can wrestle you away from Christ because God is for us. He's on our side. There's no one in the universe 
who's more powerful than God. So he has power to protect us, and we dealt with that last week. The second problem we saw last week focused on the graciousness of God to provide for us. Will God keep extending his grace to us? Will God keep doing that even if we sin? Well, let's look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? What a great argument. And it's saying this, if God has already given you his son, do you think he won't continue to give you grace to make it to glory? If God's given us his best, do you think that he'll refrain himself from giving us secondary things, what you and I need to make it through the trials and difficulties of life? Of course not. See, it's an argument from the greater to the lesser. God's given his best. He won't withhold anything once he's given his best. Now, there are some people who would agree with all that Paul has said, giving his arguments concerning God's protection and provision for eternal security. There's some people who have no problem with that. But these folks, some, still think that a Christian can lose his salvation. Why? Because they would say that someone can point out their sin to God and convince him that we have no right to be in heaven. In other words, the argument is this. Someone could prove that we're guilty. Let's look at verse 33 as we continue this morning. All this has been just to catch you up on this. Verse 33. The question is this. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? At this point, Paul takes us to a courtroom scene. That's the thought here. And he says this, who is going to come forward in this courtroom scene and accuse God's elect? Who will come forward and level a legal charge against God's people? A charge that can be substantiated, a charge that'll stick. Who will do it? Paul is asking, is there anyone who can bring a legal charge against God's people and have it stand up in the eternal court of heaven? It's a good question. Is there anyone who can do it? In fact, this word charge is used in the New Testament always for a legal charge. Paul spoke of this in, in Acts 26.2 when he said that I am set for a defense. I've been accused and I'm defending myself against the Jewish people. He said that to King Agrippa. So it's always used of a legal manner. This is a legal charge. Now the problem some people have with eternal security is that they think someone can come before God and legally accuse us of sin and therefore convince God that we shouldn't be saved. In other words, they would prove us guilty. It's the old problem of sin in our lives. The question is raised, who would do such a thing? Well, I know a lot of people who would like to do such a thing. I know a lot of people. Uh, you know them too. You know that there are unbelievers who look at your life and look at my life and are delighted to catch us in a sin, and they respond to us by saying, and you call yourself a Christian. Implication being, you're really not. You just call yourself a Christian. And then there are others, uh, believers now, who look at us and say, you lost your salvation. You blew it. You did this, and a believer can't stoop this low. Have you ever noticed those who, um, who believe you can lose your salvation never think that they've lost it? They only think that you lost it. They always think that someone else lost it. These folks level charges at us, but I want you to know there's only one in all the universe who can level a legal charge against us in God's presence. All the others only level charges at us, but there's only one who can stand in the presence of God and level a legal charge, and that's Satan. Who will bring such a charge against us? Satan does it, and he does it all 
the time. In Revelation 12.10, why don't you turn there, Revelation 12.10. He is defined by the Spirit of God as this. John says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God when? Day and night. Satan isn't just running around the world causing problems for us. I mean, he does that too with his host of demonic forces. But he also spends much of his time in heaven pestering God about us. He's absolutely the eternal pest. He's always bothering God. Satan points his finger at us and he shouts to God, that person has no right to be in heaven. Look at his sin. Look at her sin. Certainly you can't let a person who does those things in your heaven. You see, all of a sudden he becomes real spiritual. He becomes concerned about righteousness. Do you realize that Satan continually levels a charge against you? You think you're just minding your business, going on in your life. Satan is the prosecuting attorney of the ages. And he's determined to prove your sin makes you unfit for heaven. And he will not give up until God deals with him. This is, this is a pattern in scripture. In the book of Job, we, uh, Dr. Lehman Strauss, when he was here, dealt with that. But in Job, we, I just want to remind you of that. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Godly man, righteous man, believer in the Lord God. In verse 7, the Bible says, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. He says in verse 8, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Had Satan considered him, he had observed him. He become a student. Do you realize that Satan knows more about you than you know yourself? He watches you. He observes you. He knows your moves. And Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? No, Job. What's he doing? He's, he's indicting Job's motives. No, the, he's saying the man lacks integrity, God. Verse 10, hast thou not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he has and he'll curse you to your face. See, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. What's he doing? He's accusing Job of having no integrity. Sure, he honors you, God. Look what you've given him. Take it away and he'll curse you to your face. The accuser of the brethren. Satan's pretty smart. But if you're familiar with Job's story, you know that his prediction was badly off target. Even though he didn't understand why his life became so wretched, Job never did curse God. And in the end, he confessed his ignorance while rightly recognizing in verse 2 of the last chapter, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. What a great statement. So even though Satan still roams the earth looking for people to devour, even though he would like nothing more than to rip you or me from God's grip, nothing can thwart God's purposes. And as we read earlier, God's purpose is to glorify those whom he calls. Thanks for tuning in today to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. 
He's leading us verse by verse through the last part of Romans chapter 8, which proclaims God's sovereignty and our security. If you'd like to visit Lakeside, you'd be most welcome. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater. For directions and service times, call 727-441-1714 or go online to lakesidechapel.com. That phone number again is 727-441-1714 or visit lakesidechapel.com. If you'd like to listen again to today's broadcast or catch up on previous ones, they're all available on the Message Archive page at versebyverseradio.org. There's also a free podcasting service if you'd like to make sure you don't miss any future classes. And if Verse by Verse is blessing you and you'd like to help support this ministry, there is a secure and easy way to do so on our giving page. We're thankful for the generous listeners who keep Verse by Verse on the air. Our web address again is versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. In the passage we're reading, Paul said, Those whom he called, he also justified. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will spend some time considering just what is meant by justification and how the fact that we are justified by God reassures us that our eternity is secure in Christ. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse by We are here to give you strength between Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.